Good morning, everyone. I just want to mention one thing from the gospel. Here in Matthew 21, this is a very powerful story Jesus tells. And all of our readings say about vineyards. Uh, Our first reading, the only exception was our our epistle, but our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 5. And it's a story about a vineyard that God builds. And that vineyard is Israel. And that's what we sang in our responsorial psalm, which is Psalm 80. Our second reading is from Philippians chapter 4, and that, has, that wasn't a vineyard motif. But then our gospel, we hear this vineyard again. And so when we hear about vineyards in the gospel, which we hear about all the time, that's not an, a new thing Jesus is talking about. He's taking an old story, and he's fulfilling it around himself. And then today, we're not going to talk about it, but I just want to mention that the story, of course, is about a son who's rejected out of the vineyard and killed. We're in Matthew 21, right? And Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, they know that a symbol of Jerusalem is a vineyard. The temple on its exterior walls had vines carved into it. They know what Jesus is talking about when he talks about a vineyard. And then he tells a story about his son who's cast outside the vineyard and killed. And where's Jesus die? <laughs> he's, thrown, he's taken outside the walls of Jerusalem when he's crucified. But the stone that is rejected has become the cornerstone. Powerful. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Okay, sermon number one over. You know, some priests preach that, that quickly. I'm like not jealous at all. Um, one of the hardest things that happens in human life, I think, and one of the, a very tough thing that people go through is enculturation. I can't imagine. So there's, there's priests who come from other countries to the United States and they have to preach in English. And to me, the thought of trying to preach in Spanish or in Polish or Italian or whatever language it would be, I just can't imagine how difficult that would be. It's hard enough to preach in English. But if you go to another country, if you go to live there, and I have three friends right now, three priest friends in my community who are studying in Rome. And it's just tough. Going to another country, you have to learn how to adapt yourself. You have to learn to kind of fit into a, maybe like a shoe that doesn't quite fit. You have to change. When I went to Spain the first time, I remember we were on pilgrimage and this priest with us, he got so tired of it. It was so hard to adjust. And we were only there like 10 days. And I remember he looked at me and he said, Brian, I'm so sick of everyone speaking Spanish. (laughs) And I was like, Father, we're in Spain. You have to adapt, you have to change, you have to learn how to live in another country. My friends in Rome, when they first went, things drive them nuts, right? Italians apparently don't really eat breakfast. You get up, you have a shot of espresso and a pastry, and you move. They, when they have coffee in Italy, apparently the espresso is amazing, but you don't stay and drink coffee, 
Later today, I, in between masses, I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll sit and read for two hours. If you did that in Italy, they would look at you like you're a crazy person. You don't do that in Italy. Food is a big thing, right? You, you, you have a very tiny breakfast. Your main meal is the middle meal. And then my friends who study there, when they come back to the U.S., you eat a very, very light dinner. Which is why Italians, though they never exercise, they, they always are, seem to be fit. They walk everywhere. They eat a light dinner. You know, and Americans, I went to Italy. One more story. Last time I went to Rome, we were at dinner, and all the priests make fun of me because I ordered dinner, and like it came out, and I was like, seriously? <laughs> That's my side dish, right? <laughs> and so everybody else was content, and then I ordered a calzone afterwards because I'm like, I'm starving, you know? <laughs> And they brought out this calzone. You remember that scene in um, Christmas Vacation where they cut the turkey and it deflates? That's exactly what happened. I cut into this calzone and it looked good size, but it was full of just air. And it was like basically a piece of bread with some cheese on it. I was like, why do you hate me? <laughs> Today we're going to follow up from last week, and you know this, I talked about last weekend. Today is our second stewardship of generosity. And the point I want to make, brothers and sisters, the simple point is that generosity, as with all of our stewardship in our life, is about enculturation. It's one way of looking at it. Being a Christian, what the church does in so many of our disciplines we practice as Catholics, it's not just about rules of right and wrong. It's about learning to live in a different culture. And that culture is what we call heaven. You see, another book you should all read, I've mentioned it many times before, is um, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And his point is that if you don't learn to live the way God wants you to live on earth, you actually are going to be incapable of living in heaven. In The Great Divorce, when you read it, people who have lived a life for themselves on earth, who make life all about them, they find heaven a very painful place. But for those who have enculturated while they lived on earth, heaven is precisely that. It's heaven. We have to learn another culture. Jesus' commandments to us, brothers and sisters, are teaching us slowly how to live in heaven. So in Luke, I was reading this morning, in Luke 14, uh, verses 25 to 33, there's this section in Luke where Jesus talks about what does it cost to be his disciple? And essentially he says, everything. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds so crazy to us, we just ignore it. Now what Jesus means, or he's using hyperbole, hate in Jesus' time, it just means a preference. He's saying you have to put him first. You have to put him even above your parents, above your siblings, above your spouse, above your children, and even your own life. 
Further on, I think it's 1829. Here's, and here's the logic. 1829, Jesus says, truly I say to you, he's taking an oath. When Jesus says truly, he's saying, trust me on this one. Believe me, I swear. Truly I say to you, there is no man who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive manifold more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Here's the logic, brothers and sisters. The logic of this world, like we talked about last week, the logic of this world is if you want to find joy and happiness in life, be secure, have more, and build life around yourself. The logic of heaven is pour your life out. Give your life away. Right? You, Jesus, as I always say, he says seven different times in the gospel, he says, uh, for the one who seeks his own life will lose it. But the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is why stewardship matters. It's not just about paying bills. It's not just about us being able to have more ministries, which we need to. It is about your faith. It's about learning to live in heaven. It's about surrendering your life and learning to think the way Jesus thinks. Right? That the way to God, the way to joy, the way to life is to pour your life out. And that's why money, brothers and sisters, it's not the only thing. Your time is a big one, right? I, we all have to learn that when people call me and they like, need something, the first thing I always want to say is, this is my time, right? And I'm like, I tell my assistant, Mary, I'm like, block my phone, my email, <laughs> like, tell everybody to just leave me alone. And I always say, I'm moving to Telluride, and like, that's it, Done. We have to learn to lose our life. We have to learn my time is not mine. That's how Jesus thinks. And we've got to learn to step into that. So that's why I'm telling you, I hope when you come to Lord's, I was thinking again this morning, I was like, this is going to be another challenging homily? And I hope it is. That's my job. Aren't you happy? Hopefully you have a pastor who loves you enough to challenge you. Not just to affirm you in whatever you're already doing. We all need to be challenged. So brothers and sisters, here's a thought. Here's one way to look at this. Today in this church, right, there's, we could look at it this way. We could say there's, in regards to finances, there's probably about four groups in the church today. There are those people who never give. They're just never going to give to the church. And I don't know that there's anything I can say to convince them otherwise. There's always, if you don't want to be generous, you will always find an excuse to affirm your opinion. Oh, the church is rich anyway. It's not really rich. The church has buildings. It's not cash rich. Well, the church is corrupt. You know, it's people. God's not corrupt. Certain people are corrupt. I'm corrupt, I guess. I'm a hypocrite. I'll admit it up front. That doesn't change the commandment of God. We have that kind of group of people, I am sure. Wouldn't it be fun if I just, I don't know who you are. I'm just going to be like, that guy. (laughs) 
There are a lot of us, I think, been the largest group probably in here, and I don't know, I can, I'll give you a stat in a minute, is that we give when it's convenient. I was this person, that was me, for much of my life. Is If it happens to be convenient, if I happen to have some cash on me, then I'll give. Brothers and sisters, the commandment of God is a tithe. It is not uh, giving when it's convenient, when it happens to work out. Christians put God first. Do you want to grow in faith? You don't put the government first, your bills first, your entertainment first. You put God first, period. And I want to challenge you. If that's you, I've been there. I get it. I have been there in my life. Brothers and sisters, you're called to give intentionally, not in a haphazard way intentionally. And that means committing. It means signing up to give your life away for something that matters. And I want to challenge you. You should be giving weekly or monthly. Some of you I know, some of you, your jobs don't work that way. And, you know, of course, you can do it quarterly or annually. But the best way to do it is we say we give our lives away to God and we give weekly or monthly. That's what you should be doing. The third group is those of you who are intentional. And I love that. It's so good, right? It helps us to just be intentional about how we live our lives. But the third group gives intentionally, and they're on their way. They really are. They're on their way. But they're not at a tithe yet. They're not at 10%, right? If you give 3% to the church, that's not a tithe. It's a gift, but it's not a tithe. A tithe is 10%. And I want to challenge that group. Can you get closer? If you're at 4%, can you get to 5 this year? Could you get to seven? And then lastly, there are those of you who are tithers. You're fulfilling the, the biblical commandment of God. And you know that generosity blesses us. More than anything, it blesses us. It makes us more like Jesus. We learn to give our life away. Okay, so a couple of just practicals. I just want to mention people always, they always have questions. And, and I think there's, there's three things I want to highlight. The first thing is, just very practically, the most helpful thing for us at Lourdes. Do you want to be a partner with me? This is only one area. There's other areas. But one, brothers and sisters, I need you. This is not my church. This is our church. Will you partner with me to build the kingdom of God at Lourdes? One of the best things you can do is to sign up for automatic offerings. We're not talking about the capital campaign here. Think of it this way. <clears throat> I know we have, we've talked a lot about money because we're going to renovate our church. Think of your mortgage payment. The offertory is like your mortgage payment. The renovation, our church project, is if you were remodeling your kitchen. Right? Imagine if you said to your bank, hey, we're remodeling our kitchen, so we're just going to stop paying you for our mortgage right now. You can't do that. Right? Our, the, the capital campaign, our building project, is where I'm asking you to go above and beyond and be really generous so we can have an amazing, renewed church. Today we're talking about offertory, which is our committed, regular giving to God because he gave everything to us. What about if I give to a bunch of other places? 
right? Father Brian, I'm really generous. I give to missions and I give to someone last night, a really faithful parishioner said, well, I give to PBS and some other different things. Here's the answer on that. If you give to Catholic, I'm not talking non-Catholic organizations, but if you give to Catholic organizations, that counts as part of your tithe. You give to a focused missionary, you know, you give to EWTN, you give to um, Catholic Cross Outreach, which serves the poor, that counts. Non-Catholic organizations don't because this is about God. And a significant portion of your tithe should go to your local parish. God doesn't give a number on that one. Should I give pre or post taxes? You know, there's no, God doesn't have a rule for that. It's not like, I could make it up and be like, Philippians 16, right, says that you will give, you know, this percentage before taxes, and if you're in the state of Colorado, you'll add another 2%. No, it doesn't say that. God doesn't give a rule on that. I just think, though, you should put God before the government. I think you should. I do. I think you should do pre-tax. We're not gonna, I'm not going to look you up and single you out at Mass if you don't. But I think that's how we should think. God comes first. He's before the government. He is before my bills. He is before my entertainment. He is the one who gives me life, period. That's it. 